0: Thank you for your power. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. No better place to be
1: than the presence of God and God's people. So I mentioned earlier that um, Pastor Steve is down in Santa Barbara. Uh, helping out with Don Gaynor's memorial service and so we do have a a guest speaker this morning Um,
0: Mike and Jan Sparrow they've been friends of ours since the mid-80s I think so our kids and Steve and Jolene's kids and Mike and Jan's kids they all kind of all went to school together at Coastal Christian School so we've
1: known them for many many years and also uh, Mike has served as pastor of Agape Church in San Luis for many decades. He'll tell you all about that. But Mike is going to be sharing God's word with us this morning. And so Perry, you want to go ahead and bring the podium up front. And so let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Mike Sparrow. There we go. Test. I am. I got your stuff. I'm using it for a second. (laughs) Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to see you all. See some familiar faces and I was here, I don't know, several months ago, and Steve actually invited me back. So, hey, something must have went right, maybe. I don't know, but it's good to be with you. I also have a twin, and uh, not quite like this, and uh, his name's Pat Sparrow. And because it was Halloween, I was tempted to open today with a slide of Pat and I. This was a long time ago, 45 years ago, actually. It was the Halloween before we received Christ. Pat was dressed like a nun, and I was dressed like a devil, and we were dancing, and uh, and if you saw that picture, you'd say, those two guys need to get saved, and I'm, and I'm sure glad we did. It was, uh, it was the Lord totally working on us, in us, and uh, so here we are. I, I got some things in my heart. Steve, when he asked me to speak, it was several months ago, he started setting up this date, and he said, Kate, would you want to speak on that day? And I asked him, well, what, what do you want me to speak about? And... Uh, he says i don't know whatever's on your heart and so there's been lots of things on my heart because the season the church is in and what's going on with the big church the big c church and i'm a regional director for our association so i get to travel some as COVID opens up uh, talking to pastors all the time i'm also helping to coordinate the pastor's fellowship in san Luis, so i, I keep a tab on what's going on in churches and in uh, the body of christ at large and so there's been a few things that just been stirring in me that I'm hoping uh, to share today and that you'll, you'll catch it, that you'll, uh, you'll see it, and you'll begin to pray into it. It'll impact you, and it'll impact your church here. Likewise, last time I was here, I talked a little about Family Care Network. I'm a liaison for them. Uh, helping to recruit foster kids where we can Uh, when i speak i tell them i'll put a plug in for family care network where i can and uh, the need right now because of covid there's a big need for um, rescue homes or the emergency shelter homes Uh, sometimes the middle of the night for various reasons Uh, the police are called the authorities come and uh, children need to be removed from their homes. sometimes it's short term and as they get family or others, uh, or the situation gets revol- resolved to put the child back in the home, and so there's a great need for that. We had a 16-year-old gal, Spanish-speaking only, a few weeks ago, uh, crises came into her house, a single-parent single situation, and uh, for because there was no homes for three days, she stayed in the offices with social workers. And uh, that that shouldn't be. There's a a strong community here. Uh, We love families. We want to see families prosper. Amen? We want to see families be healthy. And most of them are children in our community, and they've had about 60 of them have to go out of the community recently because, partially because of COVID. Parents have kids coming back from college. They're not staying on campus. They move back in the house. Also, sometimes there's a concern in the house for Uh, People coming and going. There's there's many reasons, but if you have a heart for that, or just want more information about that, we'll be at a table outside and just can fill you in. I know it's a calling. Uh, I can't persuade you to do that, and uh, it's nothing that you can you know. It's got to be something that God puts in here. And every time I've presented it, there's been people that have come up and said, "God's been dealing with me about that for a long time." So if that might be you, come see us at the table out there. Is that okay? Well, it's exciting to see, you know, hanging out with Steve, your new plans for the worship center, uh, seeing that things are moving here and, and growing and getting back on track. And we find that in different places that even at our church, Agape, I'm no longer lead pastor, but I'm there probably half time and um, still speak once in a while there, involved in ministry, that this, this, Season we've been in is coming to uh, a close in Jesus' name. Amen? And, uh, and yet, you see people's hearts. You see some were saying, where's so-and-so? Or where's this family? Or where's this group of people? And, and we're, we're asking those questions. And then talking to some people, I've just seen their, their hearts disengage. They've just pulled back. Sometimes offense. Sometimes because this season we're in, how many know it's a time of offense? things over politics, things, things around COVID, masks, no masks, all the stuff that's been in the culture the last 18 months, two years, has has brought some division and in the church. So people's hearts, I've met some, their hearts have grown cold. You probably never have, right, Pastor? No? no okay, no comment. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. And so um, th- this is, so he asked me, what do I want to share on? And we, our last song was about it, that God, you would bring a revival, that you would bring a renewing, that you bring a refreshing. And uh, I usually PowerPoint things, and so I'm usually a four or five point guy. I've tried to do that. This is an exhortation. So just trusting it's going to go in a place that encourages and go in a place that gives you some insight. Is that okay? If you have your Bible, Psalm 85, it's a great one. It's from the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were Levites. And part of their job was to serve in the temple, and this is their prayer. They saw people coming and going every week to temple, too. They saw the spiritual atmosphere around their uh, temple campus. And here's what they prayed. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints." He said, revive us again, oh God. And that's been our prayer. And I'm in a couple prayer groups, and we're praying weekly two times, and we have an all-night prayer meeting coming up Thursday. We're praying, God, revive your church. God, help us to be the people that you dreamed of in this season, that you wanted a church without spot or wrinkle. You want a church united. Jesus, you prayed in John 17 that we'd be one, and it seems like the gates of hell, they're the ones that are winning, but that's not the truth. God's at work. Do you believe that? And so uh, how many have ever been in a real revival, like not just a, a good meeting, but in an extended time where God moved in a community or area or a country? Any been part of that? Yeah. I, I've had the privilege of being in a few of those places where when we pray for revival, it, it was more than just a good feeling. It was more than just an emotional stirring. There was a shift in the atmosphere. There was a shift in the community. There is a shift in the thinking of the people and how families related to each other. The biggest shift was hearts towards God, people's hearts turning back towards God. I've been in the community, well, at one place in Kenya where we were working. It's almost on the village of Uganda. We started a partnership there in 96, and uh, Pastor Shadrach Olo, he came to Kalmantpali. We met through that relationship, and we started working with him, and There was a part of Kenya that nobody had been there for evangelism for a long time. There was an Episcopal church there that was planted way back in the 60s. And so we rented a tent from the Methodists, and we went to this community. But when we went in, they said, you're going to need armed guards. There's a lot of robbery. There's thugs that are tormenting people. The atmosphere was just heavy. The people were oppressed. And we went up, put a tent up and we went for like eight or nine days. And in those eight or nine days, we saw God just move supernaturally. The village demoniac, this guy literally was a crazy guy in the village. And I don't know if I touched on that when I was here last time. Uh, I, I was speaking about compassion. This, this guy came forward in the tent, just crazy. And we prayed for him. And I, just under the authority of the Lord, I pointed at him and said, God wants to change you into a different person. And he fell down on his knees and. We prayed for him, and the team got him some clothes, and he hung around for a couple of days, and just, just something began to shift because God began to move. We baptized 150 people that week, and and there was just a something in the in the community that changed. The atmosphere, the heaviness broke loose, and it was a, a true move of God. And I went back 16 months later, and here comes this pastor and a friend across, and I said, who's that guy? They said, "That's that's... David, he's the guy that got delivered, and now he's part of our um, our recovery ministry here on the campus. And besides that, there, there's a teacher ran across the playground there, the the um, soccer field, and she said, "You don't know me, but since you guys came and this church started, th- this whole community's changed." I went driving at night with the pastor, and he said, "You know, a year ago we couldn't go out into these little town area. People are afraid, they're frightened, they're locked in, they're out shopping, they're out." meeting with one another, something shifted in the atmosphere. How many believe God can do that here? He's no respecter of places. He's no respecter of persons where people's hearts are for revival, to invite his presence into a place where people position themselves and, and call on him. He will come and he'll change and he'll move and he'll, he'll renew marriages and families. And I don't know about you, that's what I'm living for in these days. Amen? And I think that's what you're preparing for down the street, huh? Mm-hmm. Making room for God to move. If you have your Bibles, go with me in Malachi three thirteen. I've heard this from people, and uh, at the same time that this time we're in right now, Matthew three thirteen or Malachi three thirteen. <clears throat> Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and Malachi's prophesying here, prophesying here about some challenges that he's facing amongst the people. And this is New Living Translation. In 313, he said, he said uh, God saying through the prophet, You have said terrible things about me. How would you like God to say that to you? You have said terrible things about me. And he's talking to a whole group of people, says the Lord, but you say, What do you mean? What have we said against you? Verse 14, You have said, What's the use of serving God? You ever heard anybody say that? What's the use of serving God? Especially in the season we've been in, there's been lots of challenges. I, I've had pastor friends, deaths in their family. I have a good pastor friend now. He he was fighting cancer in the season, and then he had just retired from a secular job, and, and now his wife's f- facing early Alzheimer's. And he's been in very, very tough situation. Used to be the strongest encourager. Y- he would walk up to you, hey, bless God, brother, how goes the battle? And uh, just an encourager pouring out of him. But this season... He, he asked me not too long ago, hey, Mike, pray for me that my faith wouldn't fail. I'm, I'm, in the, uh, I'm in the trial of my life. And so when we go through those things, sometimes that thought comes our way. What, what use is it to serve God? And then Malachi go on, goes on and said, you said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we call the arrogant blessed. for those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them, they suffer no harm. He's saying, there's people that say, go ahead, God, if you're real, punish me. And he says, there's nothing happening to them. Life just goes on for them. It's a crisis of faith, and he goes on in 16, then those who fear the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. And his presence, a scroll of remembrance, was written to record the names of those who feared him. And always thought about the honor of his name. So they're saying there's a group here saying, What good is it to serve God? But God said, Wait, there's people that still fear me, there's people that still honor me. And how many know God's a good accountant? God can keep track. God's a good listener. He knows what's going on. He said, There's a group of people that are still faithful to me. And and I'm gonna write a book of remembrance about them. I'm gonna keep track of who they are, those names. Because they fear me and they honor my name. And then they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they'll be my own special treasurer. I'll spare them as a father spares an obedient child. And then again, you're going to see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Now, right now, that might be confusing. It's so mixed up, the parties and the agendas and all that. But God said here through Malachi, there's a day coming. You're going to see real clear. Who, who knows me, who fears me, who honors me, and those that don't. I believe we're coming into that season. I believe there is a favor that's going to come on the church once again to make a distinguishing distinguish between those who have a covenant or walking with God and those who don't give a rip about them, those that don't care about them. Even to the farther side, there's blasphemers around that are just uh, undermining Christianity, attacking us, trying to intimidate the church. I just ask you, hold on and don't give up right now. Because there's things coming. There's, there, I, I believe there's a tide turning. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in may, me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've what? I've, come on, I've, come on, overcome the world. That, that word there, uh, tribulation, is the Greek word thlipis. It means pressure. Squeeze down. said in the world, there's going to be a squeezing that comes. It's the same word they used to get oil out of, uh, olive oil out of oils or out of olives, when they would step and crush them, that that oil would come forward. The same word was used when you're squeezing grapes to get the juice out. Flip us. There's pressure coming. But our good friend Ron Salisbury had a word that I loved, and it was perseverance. Do you remember what that word is? Anybody that knew him? Hupomone. Remember? I saw that, Joe. hupamone It's the Greek word that's just not patient endurance, not like just, okay, I'm going to buckle down in the storm and I wait this thing out. No, squeezing comes, slippus squeezes you down, but hupamone it lifts you up. It's a word for patient endurance. It's a word with, about staying on course. It's the idea that if the storm's coming, some sailors would say, pull down the, pull down the sails, wrap it up, set the anchors. We're going to hunker down and wait this thing out. But this word, hupomone, means we're going to adjust our sails. We're not going to shut down, but we're going to adjust our sails. We're going to use this storm for an advantage. It's, it's having an expected end. It's seeing the finish line. So where we are right now with these things coming against the church, I encourage you, don't give up. There, there, there's a season coming. We're going to see a move of God. I totally believe that. I've had promises about that. We hear that in different parts of the world where we're serving, that God is at work. Is anybody excited about that just a little bit? Amen. Amen. How many want that and are waiting for that and position yourself for that and pray into that and believe God for that? Because some of us now, our, our words, our mouths, our hearts I hear what we're speaking, and uh, help us, Lord, to be ready for what you want to do. Scripture says where there's no revelation or prophetic vision the people go unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who, who keeps the laws of God. Without a vision in our heart of what God wants to do with us and in our homes and our families, without having that vision in us, Scripture says we go unrestrained. We're, we're just kind of tossed around. And there's a, another passage of Scripture that I've gone through over and over through the years that helped me just stay on course. And I want to share that with you, especially those that might think, what what purpose or what use is there to serve God? And it's found in 2 Samuel 7. It's about 1000 BC. David has become king. And after he kills Goliath, he goes through this whole series of things where he's anointed king, but doesn't come in for, to his rightful reign for a while. And as he's being positioned to rule, all kinds of wars break out. Now, and the Philistines and the surrounding enemies, and even battles from within own family members contending for that 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 place as king, and David battles all those things. Also, the tabernacle of God, which is where God would manifest His presence, that got captured. The Philistines have it stashed, and finally, David gets it back and brings it to Jerusalem, its rightful place. And there's peace now. And he takes a walk up the mountain to this, this tent, and he tells Nathan, the priest and prophet, Hey, come with me. I, I, I just want to hang out in his presence for a little while. And so in front of this tabernacle, Nathan and David have a conversation. And 2 Samuel 7.1 says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar. But this ark of God, God's tabernacle, it dwells inside tent curtains. He said, something's wrong with this picture. I've got my temple being built for me, my my house, and yet I come out here to this tent, and that's God's dwelling place. And then Nathan Nathan said to the king, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me? And God starts challenging David through Nathan. He says, you know, I I was in a tabernacle. I moved with the people of Israel through the wilderness. For those 40 years, I was with them. And and as we moved, my presence went with you. And and now you want to build me a house? He's asking David. In verse 8, he says this. Now, therefore, you shall say this to my servant David. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I've been with you wherever I've gone, and, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall your sons of witness oppress them anymore, as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest for all your enemies. This is the point I want to make right here, and then God says, Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Years ago, I read that passage in context, and I thought, well, this is the deal God wanted to make with David. He told David, if if you build my house, I'll build your house. And something went off in me over that, and I've seen over the last 40-some years of ministry God be faithful to that promise because I truly believe he looks for covenant people. And throughout scripture, he cut covenant with men, and he cut covenant with families. And that covenant is, I'll be your God, and I want you to be my people, but you're going to get involved with family business. You're going to help me carry out my plan and will, and in so doing, you're going to see my goodness, you're going to see my blessing, you're going to be see my protection. It's never problem-free. There's always challenges, there's always opposition, but God said, I'm going to be with you, and David, as you build my house, I'm going to build your house. And there's something right now that I have in my heart is like, where's the men and women that have a desire to build God's house, not not just a church, but a spiritual house? Where's the men and women of God who are, are as concerned about what God's dream is for this place than our dreams, and our plans? When we walk by a school and we know the turmoil some of the schools in, do we ever look at a school and say, God, what's your dream for this school? what's what's your dream, God? What do you want to see happen in my neighborhood as I walk my neighborhood? There's, There's divorce, there's abuse in some of our neighborhoods. God, can we dream with you? What's in your heart? And God says, if we concern ourselves with those things, if we help putting our focus on making a difference there, the promise to David is you build my house and I'll build your house. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to share just some personal stories about this, but it's not bragging on Mike Sparrow. I'm a very, very ordinary guy serving a very extraordinary God. I'm serving a very good God. And, and years ago, we got married in 1981, and I was already in the Bay Area. My degree was in geology. I was working in research and development for Sohio Petroleum. And we, uh, when we got married, we got involved with this church, Heart of the Bay, and in that church, there was a bunch of young couples. We probably had a dozen young couples, plus or minus five years of our age. And the pastors were dynamic, and, and the church was exciting. We're meeting in a multi-purpose room, and, and we were just excited to serve. It, be, it became our life. We had services three, three days a week, and, and our friends were there. But as a young couple, we were looking around, and we said, and we were passing out flyers to something going on at the church. And I remember Jan and I were talking, gosh, it would be fun to have a house and we don't have much money in the bank. I don't know how this could ever work, but I remember where we stopped, and I prayed, God, would you bless us someday with a house or show us how to get in one? We probably had 500 bucks in the bank. And at Ohio Petroleum, I had a bachelor's degree, and us bachelor degree guys served the PhDs. They hired a new guy from Tulane University. His name was Mike, too, and Mike came to work there, and they gave Mike some money for a down payment on a house. He had one year to use it, And at nine months, he came to me and said, hey, Mike, I I, I need to use this money within three months or I'm going to lose it, and uh, do you want to buy a house? And I'll give you the $10,000, and you buy the house, and uh, when you can pay me back the $10,000, you can. I just need to be on title for a while. Long story short, that was our first house. I didn't even know how to start, but I met a real estate guy, and this older guy, Ray. And I remember going into Ray's office. I sit down. And the phone rings when I'm in Ray's office. And we, don't, we hadn't even seen too many houses. That are, he hadn't really showed us anything. Phone rings. Guy's in a good neighborhood in San Leandro. Little house. He had on the market for 93000 He said, I'll let it go for $82,000. i will carry back some of the money. Ray said, let's go look at the house. We looked at the house. And a day or two later, we owned a house. said, how in the world did that happen? God reminded me of his promise. You build my house. I'll make a way for you and your house. I'm not just talking about material things. We're just talking about houses right now, right? So we, we left the Bay Area in, uh, in 1986. My twin brother was down here, and he called, said, we need a youth pastor. And we had gotten involved with youth ministry, and my heart was going more towards ministry than geology. I went from theo- geology, I say rocks in the ground, to theology, rocks in the head and heart. I, I, I made a shift. And we get down here, n- n- no, the church... We left fifty-five thousand a year. Those were eighty-six dollars to come down here for seventy bucks a week for youth ministry. It was a really good economic deal. Jan's dad was thrilled I made that choice, and uh, he was a professional at U.S. Steel, and he he came down. He was shaking his head. He looks at the church and he says, "So when you uh, if you do good, you get one of these." He thought it was like a franchise or something like that. He he had a different mindset. We came down for seventy bucks a week. We're renting a little house in. Um, Shell Beach at first, but I was at a home group meeting in Grover. My twin brother's speaking on a Sunday night, and I'm looking around this house during worship, and I felt in here. The Lord says, "You're going to live in this house." And first, I said, "Really? It's got shag green carpet, smells like cats, these old Mediterranean style curtains, but it had an ocean view, and and it's here in Grover Beach." And within a few months. The gal that was renting that house from our church moved out. We were in. I helped buy through real estate, helped her buy a condo, made a little money there. And we're in this house. And then with just in a few months, the owner of the house says, hey, do you guys want to buy this house? And we looked at each other. I said, you know, we just moved here. I I don't have any real job established. I'm making 70 bucks a week. I I, I told the owner, we'll make a run at it. But in my heart, I felt like God said, yes, go for it. So what happened I met a lender that just moved to town he knew as I was a new realtor wanted to start a partnership and he got us a loan for the house and to this day I don't know how legal it is I don't know how it I don't know how it worked it was an ugly loan but within a very short time we were in a house and God was keeping his promise that house you know Grover Beach on the hill 98000 we converted it and changed it all that made equity that got us in the house we're in now last house story So we moved across this freeway. We made some equity in that house, and um, our kids were growing up, and we had a teenager living with a five- or a six-year-old that wasn't working well, so we needed an extra bedroom. And we looked across the freeway, and there was a house there that seemed uh, out of our price range. And again, okay, God, we're going to go in by faith. We made the offer, and uh, it's on Irish Way, and I was born on St. Patrick's Day, and on on my birthday, we moved into that house, and we're coming down the street. I had the driving, the, the moving truck, and in my spirit, I heard God say, Happy birthday, and moved into a house on Irish Way. And I've seen the faithfulness of God. I'm saying this not to brag on us. I've been somewhat faithful. I've had mistakes and my share of just discouragement and that. But I've seen the faithfulness of God when your heart is to the Lord. I want, I want to build your house. We've seen that on our children. When our kids were in tough times, God was always faithful to bring somebody to encourage our kids. Both of my kids got into Cal Poly with less than A averages. Now you have to have like a 4.5. Both, both of them were like B-plus students. Somehow God got both of our sons at Cal Poly. I, I look just about time after time where we've seen his faithfulness. I've, I've never made a lot of money in ministry. I, I looked at my salary once and I said, it's somewhere between a prison guard and a teacher that's probably real appropriate for a pastor. You're kind of balanced it out. But I've seen God be faithful time and time again. And it's, it's not about the money. It's just about the provision of God and feeling like, God, I'm in the family business. I'm, my, my heart's towards your house. My heart's towards your people. And when we're oriented that way, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And what happens? Everything else gets added. And, I, and I'm not saying it's all been smooth. We've had lots of challenges, but I've, I've found this when, when, when your heart's for God and you want to see God's people uh, grow and you want to see p- God's people strengthened, as you pour your life into them, he's always got people to pour life into you. As you, wanna, as you give out and you're serving, there's always people that want to come around side and support and encourage us. My older brother Bill was on the streets because of alcohol for 20 some years and he was down in Southern California and I could do nothing about that from a distance sometimes we didn't even hear from him but I know up here when we would help at our recovery ministry and I'd be talking to people that are struggling the same thing I would throw up a prayer God help my brother Bill God deliver brother Bill and it wasn't too long it took several years he ended up up here at a ranch getting sober receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior And I thank God you're just faithful. You're faithful. And as our hearts towards building his house, I promise you his heart will be towards strengthening and working in your house. Does anybody believe that this morning? Amen. Well, these are some quick things. What can we do to help build God's house? We're not building just a physical house. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are building built together for a dwelling place of God's spirit. So we're not just talking about a building. Scripture says now we are the temple of God, right? We're the temple of God. We house the spirit of God. God. He used to dwell in you know, Solomon's temple. That's where they would go to encounter his presence. But after Jesus was crucified, the scripture says that veil was rent in two. The temple doors were open and now the spirit of God lives in you and me. And so we're not just about trying to get God's presence to come here. Part of building up the body of Christ is encouraging people that God's presence is in them. And help strengthen them and encourage them. And so when we're building up the house of God, uh, I'm talking about encouraging one another to, to use their gifts. And, you know, I just got four quick points on how do you build. First of all, Jesus said, my house, God said, my house will be a house of prayer. How do I build? I build with words. I build with prayer. We were in India in this village. We planted a new church or helped plant and dedicate a new church in this village of India with Billy Graham Palouse, And I met Billy Graham's mother, but this other lady that came to that part of India, there was murder going on. They said weekly, someone was getting murdered. It was just a dark, dark area. And here we're dedicating a church, and it's vibrant and alive, and worship's going on. And I said, how did you guys transform it in such a short short time from that to this? He said, we pray. We pray. Prayer brings breakthrough. Do you believe that? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One version says it makes tremendous power available. So when you and me pray, it makes a difference. Prayer is the key. I know I'm going quickly here. It's winding down. Number two, prayer changes things. Number two, determined to be an encourager. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. This season, I have met so many people that just need some encouragement. Somebody to say, you can do it. Somebody to lift them up. Somebody to give them a word in season just to uh, help float their boat a little bit. Tell your neighbor, you can be an encourager. Come on, tell them that. Man, you guys don't believe that. Who, who are you sitting next to right now? <laughs> Holy mackerel. Come on, you can be an encourager. Life and death is in your words. Do you believe that? hmm Th- This season, you know, uh. I don't even have time to go in the stories. What's over the, Even the last couple of weeks, the, the times of just people coming that just need to be lifted up and prayed for. And our words can make the difference in, in how their day goes. Our words can help turn a life, can bring freedom to people. There's power in your words. Do you believe that, church? I threw in another one here, and um, especially the season we're in, T- to have, I think, the most infectious thing and the most inviting thing, and the most life-changing things for people that don't know the Lord is to see someone live like they're loved. And when we realize that, that, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't even have time to go into my testimony, but how God pursued me when I was running from Him. I, I, we, we got into the drug scene in Southern California, my twin brother and I, and things went, you know, started out fun, and then that fun goes into the partying, and the drugs changed and. It wasn't too long. A friend of ours got killed by a drug dealer. That was a wake-up call for me. And I remember praying, God, um, I only have one life to live, Lord, and I don't want to mess it up. God, Jesus, come into my life. And shortly after that, he did. And then the revelation through time, because of guilt and shame from my past, I would struggle with this God really loved me. But I was bringing a missionary back to the airport, and... um, and this is in Santa Barbara one day, and this happened years ago, and as I was coming back by Lake Kachuma, I just felt this urgency to pull into this turnout, and I don't know why, but it was just so strong in me that I even passed it and went a mile down the road, and I came back to the turnout, and I pulled in, and nobody was there, and so I'm looking around, and I'm saying, what was that about, and I was youth pastor then and super busy just trying to make it all happen, and I was sitting on the wall, and again, you know, I say I heard God's voice only a few times in my life has it been that loud and clear that it's almost audible. And this was one of those times. And he asked me, why do you live like I don't love you? And I argued with him. I don't do that. And and he reminded me that you, you, you're struggling so hard just to, that you always got to provide, that you always got to keep it together. And you're always just, just on this rush. It was like, calm down and know that you're loved. And so now it's been years. And that idea that I, I'm, I'm living like I'm really loved, not because of how special I am, but because how good he is, how wonderful he is. And when, when people see your life differently, as Malachi said, once again, I'll make a distinction between those who serve me and those that don't. When we live like we're loved and we truly believe that, that God's for us, that he, he's got a plan for us. That he'll never leave us nor forsake us. See, that's one of the things he said to David at the temple. My hand's always been on you, David. Ever since you, you were raised up as king, my hand's always been on you. When you believe that God's with you and you know that, and, and you live that way in a confidence that no matter what's coming my way, God, you're bigger. You're bigger. No matter what's coming my way, God, you said you would provide a way of escape. When we live that way, it, it, it's impactful to others. There's a couple times in our family where people come come to us and said, we want what you have. We want the God you serve because of how they see the goodness of God. And again, it's not us. I know it's the Lord in us. I know when Dean Braxton was here, I think it was here, he said, when you see a tortoise on top of a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. And I can say that with God. What I have today and how I live today, I know it's all because of what Jesus has done. And when we live with that infectious faith and we live with that infectious joy, truly we can, uh, we can build up other people. We can build that spiritual house. We can build this spiritual house. Amen, church? Amen. Well, I think it's time to worship, Ron. We got uh, a couple more songs and I want to pray. And so worship team, come on up. And uh, I have a few more pages of notes, but we'll just end it right there. It's one of those times where uh, over the last season my, my heart's been filled and, and stirred. And Father, I thank you for hungry hearts in this place. I thank you for a renewed desire, Lord, to see you move, Lord God, in our families, in our homes. To see some things shift where they need to shift. For joy to be restored, Lord for your strength to come. I pray great grace, Lord, over homes that are still in recovery mode and still uh, struggling, God, even from this COVID season, businesses that are stuck, businesses that have uh, been damaged by this current culture, Lord. I I pray, God, just your great grace there. And Lord, I would confirm, I'd ask that you would confirm, God, in hearts, it's worth it to serve you. I pray that you would renew that, that you said, when we come to God, it says in Hebrews 6, you said, when we come to you, we must believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. And I've seen that in every culture we've been able to go to, Lord, that you are a rewarder. And I, I pray that we do it out of love for you, out of honor for you. We serve you for, because of who you are, God, and how good you are. But I pray as we serve you that others see the fruit of it in this season. They'll see the fruit in our own life, the change in our own life, and how you do indeed take care of our houses. And I lift up those that might not know you here, Lord, or have drifted away, and those that might be watching online that have been frustrated and even in their own head said, what good is it to serve God? I, I pray today, Lord, that you would just open their hearts and quicken their minds again, God, and bring back remembrances and bring back understanding of when they did serve you. Or that hunger to get to know you, Lord, to surrender to you, to put you first and see what happens. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling your people as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Sound of his voice sees that are shaken and stirred, can be calmed. to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin what Jesus did on the cross for us and your love for us. and Thank you for, for sending us the helper, for sending us this, the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and for just your power in us, in our lives. And so thank you, God. Would, would you just give us the power of encouragement as we leave today for others and for ourselves, Lord encourage us in you.